Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to the Feelin' Film Podcast. We get together weekly for a fun, emotional-focused, and sometimes insightful, in-depth movie conversation. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me, as always, is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hello, everyone. In this episode, it's Marvel time again. The much-anticipated sequel to the mega-hit Black Panther has arrived. With its new conflict for Wakanda to navigate and the immense challenge of moving on without its title star, Chadwick Boseman, who tragically passed away due to cancer in 2020. From this point on, we will be spoiling the heck out of the movie, so please find yourself two hours and 41-ish minutes to make your way to the theater and check this one out if you have not done so already before you listen to this episode. Patrick, 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 Patrick. So you saw this movie on Friday, I believe. And Friday morning. Yeah. Friday morning. It is now on a Sunday night, and I have heard not one word from you. So for all I knew, you didn't actually make it, uh, and you were going to show up to this episode and be like, hey, I'm just here to let you talk to me. But no, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> actually, I just finished it. So I, I was. Okay. <laughs> it's a long movie the the length (laughs) jokes it's not the last time that we're gonna have to deal with this either i think it's just the beginning of this winter season because Uh, there are so many movies between november and december coming out that are all either award favorites or blockbusters and they're ones that we're actually like already interested in things like avatar but even like babylon And these movies are pushing two and a half to three hours, like a handful of them. So it's time to uh, get used to that, I guess. I think that they're being inspired by all of these long series TV shows, maybe. Maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I was talking to Adam recently about the length of movies. And we, we were talking about Gettysburg that came out, I guess, 1996 or something. And it was four hours. And there was an intermission because the... The movie people said, you know what? This is a long movie. And to sit on your butt for that long is probably not healthy or even entertaining or fun. I'm I'm all for bringing back the short 15-minute intermission, especially for movies that are hitting the three-hour mark. Because the fact is, it's just, it's a lot of time in the theater. And, you know, it's it's good. I mean, if the movie's compelling enough, I remember sitting through Elvis and not blinking once, really, it felt like, because I was really compelled. Other movies don't do that for me. And I'm not sad that we get more of these lengthy movies. I mean, if you have to tell your story in two and a half hours, tell it. If your story is good enough, I'm not going to care. If it's not good enough, and I put that in air quotes because everything is subjective, I'm probably going to hone in on a particular facet of the movie. It's length being one thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a very difficult thing to make movies that long that are what I would call well-paced or for me. And that doesn't mean like we, sometimes we use the word slow, like a movie's slow, slow can be fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with slow. Slow can just mean drama or melodrama and that's okay. It's a matter of pacing. So you can have poor pacing with a slow movie. You can have poor pacing with a movie that needs to have high energy. And that's really what it comes down to. So maybe we'll touch on 
how you felt about that with this one. Well, maybe we'll just start there, actually. So with regards to the link, since we're talking about it, did you find yourself engaged with this from start to finish or did you have some issues with the length? The issues, I did have issues with the length. And I think it was because of the fact that this, much like Barbarian in a different kind of way, felt like a couple of movies sort of mashed up into one. And I'm going to say I appreciate deeply the challenge of having to course correct when it comes to the loss of a staple. If Robert Downey Jr., midway through phase one had passed away, there would be immense challenges to Kevin Feige and company navigating those waters of how do we get from where we are to where we need to be. And so I'm not going to ever complain about a creative team that has to do enough to tell a good story that's interesting and still make sure that you're being respectful to the reality of what's been lost. I do think that was effective. I think that when you look at the loss of Chadwick Boseman as an actor, his role as Black Panther and the cultural impact that he had, you have to be able to honor that, acknowledge that. I thought probably the best aspect of that was the essential moment of silence in the Marvel title card, where instead of showing all the movies that they've done inside the Marvel block as it's coming to you, it's all Chadwick Boseman. It's all Black Panther and there's no music. And I thought that's pretty fantastic. But the story itself, for me, had a difficult time being a blockbuster Marvel movie and a passage of how to deal with grief at the same time. So I wasn't asking for Iron Man. I also wasn't asking for drama and grief. And what I got was, I think, a less impressive version of both. So I didn't quite get my, wow, this is Marvel. This is exactly what I expect. Action and fun and quippy lines and sometimes some stakes. <laughs> but it also wasn't, for me specifically, deep enough on the drama scale to really feel the impact of the loss of Bozeman slash T'Challa because those Marvel is making those interchangeable. The fact is Chadwick Bozeman was an actor before this and he had some great roles. I will admit that this is what put him on the big map. And this is what made the most impact to a wide audience. So I see this and I can see how it's a story navigating grief and how folks that were attached to him, actors and fans, can live in this for two hours plus and walk through this with, uh, with Shuri. I thought that was good. But to me, it just felt incomplete or less of what it could be on both of those scales. And I, I would like to have seen leaning into one more heavily or not even ignoring, I mean, paying, paying homage to something, but leaning into one or the other because I felt like it was trying to split the difference by saying, we've got to do both. How do we do that? Was it effective? For me, it wasn't, but I think it was a fine story. I don't think it was a train wreck by any means. It's a good Marvel movie. But when you have such a high bar that you've set for the last 10 to 15 years, 
this now lives for me in the world of not Thor Dark World necessarily, but kind of in the Doctor Strange. Like it was good, but not great. And it's nice, but kind of forgettable. And I kind of wonder what's going to happen next. That's kind of how I was left because I have to kind of look at it from an MCU fan perspective, as well as a, we have to acknowledge the loss of one of our beloved people. And where I think emotionally it hit some of the marks on that tribute, I think it was less of a, I think it was like a single. <laughs> it wasn't a home run, wasn't a double. I mean, it got, it got what it needed to get done. And the length of it, I think, is where I was bothered because it just felt like it was doing a lot with two different things that I had a hard time connecting with. I know other people completely connected with it, and I'm when I get that. For me, I didn't. I think the length issue that you're speaking of is because of, like you said, the multiple things that this movie is trying to accomplish. And... I even broke it down when I did the FF plus new release review of this one. I was like, we're going to talk about this in three parts. We're going to talk about the actual plot. <laughs> we're going to talk about the death of Chadwick Boseman and the grief or the death of T'Challa and the grief issue in the, in the story. And then we're going to talk about how the movie like handles the actual death of Chadwick Boseman as well as part of that. And it feels like it's trying to do all of these things and it's this heavy burden that it carries and I don't envy them. No one does. I mean, it is an, it's a terrible position to be put in. No, it's a, it's a tragic loss, right? The man died way too young of cancer and it's horrific and sad. And he was a very talented actor and we wish he could have stuck around and been in this movie. And I absolutely loved the opening credits. I'm glad you pointed that out. I wanted to make note of that too, because I thought that was, if it had just left it at that, like I would have thought we did enough, honestly, because it was so impactful uh, as a shocking dichotomy from what you are used to with the Marvel credits to start off audiences in this somber place of thoughtfulness and remembrance. It may be that and like the ending credit song, right? Those are two really beautiful pieces that say, listen, we understand and acknowledge what was supposed to be here and and we miss him i thought those were well done the big bugaboo is like how do you handle his death so i guess we'll just start with that then because what they end up doing is they start the movie with the funeral and they make us go through wakanda essentially losing their king the only thing i can recall them saying is that he had an illness a mysterious illness or died from some illness. They don't ever, they're never specific about it. And they use that as a way of now propelling the plot. So whether or not they did that in a respectful manner or not, I think is pretty much a given. I think we could probably say that they did that in a very respectful way. Would you agree? You're nodding. So yeah, I'm assuming yeah, you do. Yeah, I would. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense from a story point if this is the direction you're going to go. And so I, I kind of want to make that distinction because I'm not saying that they're handling a story, they're telling a story wrong. I'm just not sure this is the right story to tell in a sense that I wanted this movie to be entertaining. 
I didn't want to sit through a two and a half hour movie that at times tried to be entertaining, at times tried to be what Ryan Coogler has brought to the universe, which is some like actual social commentary and cultural commentary and some, you know, some more like seriousness to the plot lines. And then at the same time, be this nonstop episode of grief processing. That is where it was not effective for me, Patrick, is because they had the funeral and then they just kept talking about it. The whole movie over and over and over. It was some other character processing their grief, dealing with the loss of T'Challa, a.k.a. Chadwick Boseman, because we know the actors are having to process this in real time. Is there? I mean, I cannot really fathom being an actor and having to deal with this and, and act in some of these scenes. I just, I was actually feeling for them in real time. Like that must've been so difficult, but I, it was just a struggle for me because I felt like they didn't just acknowledge it and deal with it and then move on. They kept reminding us for two and a half hours over and over and over. And, and that's where my issue is because in the real world that we live in to cheapen that would be disrespectful to Chadwick Boseman. I get it. But the fact is, we have seen Black Panther in a grand total of two movies. Two. His own and Avengers. Maybe Infinity War and and Endgame. I can't remember. So three. But significant time, one movie. Had this happened to an actor like Robert Downey Jr., who we had spent or had... Okay, let's just... Let's spoil it for everybody. If you haven't seen... In game or any movie up to this point, I'm just going to say spoiler alert. The impact of Tony Stark's death means something to the fans of the MCU because we have spent more than 10 to 12 years with this character. Whereas with Black Panther, we have spent a grand total of one, one film to get to know him. And all credit to Ryan Coogler. Well, two. Okay, two. Civil War. So, yeah. Yeah, Civil War. Okay, got it. Yeah. But to get to know the character himself, there's not been a lot of exposure. There's been minimal amounts of exposure. It would be like me saying, we lost Ant-Man. Oh, man, that's awful. But not really, because he's only been around a handful of times and he hasn't made a significant impact. So I get the difficulty of handling the loss of an actor. I mean. The fact is, Robert Downey Jr. is not dead, so we're not dealing with a duality of the loss of a character and the loss of an actor. This is the challenge that Black Panther Wakanda Forever had, is it was trying to do both. And I feel as though those opening credits and the ending montage where Shuri is thinking about him were perfect because it reminded us that, yes, he was such an impactful uh, character an actor and part of the MCU and important culturally for us. I don't want to discount that, but you're doing it at the cost and at the sacrifice of a universe that you're building. And if I spend two and a half hours rehashing what I already know, the loss of a character, loss of an actor that I've already in my own way grieved, you've lost me. And now the grief feels a little bit more forced. And then you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, oh, oh yeah, 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 we got, we got the, the bring them stuff. Okay, we got to include this. Okay, let's bring this in. That's what I felt was going on. You had a story that had 
the opportunity to be really great and it was derailed by something that was in real life important. But you have to be able to balance that. And I'm not saying that's easy because it's not. But there has to be a better balance of acknowledging and almost putting to the side the reality of what's been lost. Or I would say, I would say yes, or you have to actually treat it like an in-universe event. And that was the thing is the last time we saw him, he was becoming Black Panther and everything was mm-hmm. great. And he had saved Wakanda and there was, it was a big deal, right? And now all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, our boy died about, is he's dying. <laughs> he's gone. And then we just yeah. move on. Like, if you're going to tell the story of his death's impact on Wakanda, I feel like we needed to have his death. Like, some something has to happen. Like, he's got to have a meaningful death. I'm sorry. I, I understand, like, real life, people actually just die of illnesses out of nowhere. That's not the MCU. That doesn't fit in the universe that you've created. So you have to stay consistent with the universe you've created. And I feel like they got so twisted right again 100% like understand it it's not easy choices here but because of that it made the movie experience lesser because it you couldn't you weren't going all in on either just T'Challa's death because if so then we would have seen it him die probably we would have there would have been some impactful you would have had to have an impactful story reason for that to occur not just showing the aftermath of it like that's fine but it feels like we skipped a whole bunch in that regard Yeah. Or you just treat it like a a, a tribute, a, a respectful acknowledgement and sadness of the passing of an actor and you move on. Right. I was thinking about this in comparison to some other movie roles where people died before the filming was done. And specifically what came to mind was Heath Ledger. He did die before the end of filming. Is that correct? I think he or did he, did he die before the end of filming or did he die in between? He died at- he died after he was not around. He, he died before the Oscars. Before the Oscars. Had, yeah. Okay. But I think so he, Paul he finished Walker filming. Then. We'll talk okay. about Paul yeah. Walker. So he's in the middle of filming Fast and Furious 7. So a little bit of a different situation because the movie is actually, or six, sorry. I think it's six. He's actually in production. It was seven. Okay. So it was seven. Yeah. Because we liked the first seven. Is what we That's said. right. <laughs> that was where we said it should have ended. And so a little bit of a different scenario here but he was in the movie filming it they also had his brother so they were able to kind of like finish out that story but what the movie what the series chose to do to honor paul walker's passing was to respectfully let that character live on and mourn him and move forward right and in doing so they didn't ask all the actors to physically go through like recreating their grief of losing their best friend in the movie itself world. It wouldn't have really fit that great in a Fast and Furious movie. And I don't think it fit that great in a Marvel movie either. And and that is where I wish so our buddy E-Man since way back when he started this whole idea of recast T'Challa and it gained, gained so much steam. I mean, there are like national outlets that have interviewed him for this. It's, it's been everywhere. And he has staunchly said they should have just recast the role because the role of Black Panther is important to a bunch of people. I was behind that. I was in the camp of I'll wait and see what happens in the movie before I make judgment. But I really do feel like at this point, 
they probably should have done that <laughs> in hindsight because then you could have just kept telling stories about Wakandans and the Black Panther and moving forward. And I do want to acknowledge like some of the scenes in the movie, Angela Bassett and Letitia Wright specifically, both have big performance moments that are their characters grieving and in a very demonstrative way. And they were powerful and moving and extremely well acted. It just got to the point where that was so heavy and repetitive that I was like, let's move on. So I'm not dogging how it was accomplished, like technically speaking. I'm just, I just don't want that in the story, right? It just, it just did not mesh well. Right. So I think that's what we're both saying here. And with regards to that, so we are mixing this whole T'Challa's death thing with the real the main plot, which is the introduction of a new villain and a new superhero, I guess, super villain, super powered mutant. He's a mutant, is what we learn. Namor. Yeah, met, from, met a person. Met, met a person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from Talokan. And the main plot revolves around Talokan. So when we start off, we have Wakanda is now being sought after for its vibranium because people believe that since T'Challa is not there to protect them, they can take advantage of Queen Ramonda, which I think is a, a very intriguing plot line because that seems very realistic as to what would probably happen and what has happened over time historically. Love the scene in the beginning where like the NATO is getting together and our guy Richard Schiff, Schiff is there. Schiff Schiff is there. Schiff. Schiff. And she's it's doing the intercut thing where they're like having the meeting and talking about how they've never done anything. But we're also watching like this elite team, like try to break into Wakanda and steal vibranium and the Dora Milaje like wreck them. And then they like walk them in to the NATO. Ca I just loved that scene. I thought that was yeah. like, just the bomb. Like that was amazing. Yeah. And so yeah. it's just strong move, you know, from Queen Ramonda. I thought she's a great character, by the way. Angela Bassett in this. Another problem I have with the movie is that they kill her too. And it's like, <laughs> at that point, I, I legitimately was like, are you kidding me? Like you're making people both in the movie and fans go through a, a two and a half hour process of grieving Chadwick Boseman, as well as their character of T'Challa. And on top of that, you're going to kill Angela Bassett as if they need more motivation. You know, like, I just was like, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? So in some of these ways, in, in some ways, by the end of the movie, by the mid credit scene, I looked back on Ramonda's death as being like, we got to get rid of the queen so we can get a version of T'Challa back in the seat here. Yeah, let's do that. I don't feel like the way they handled her death was cheap. I felt like killing her was a cheap move in order to get back on track. Because the fact is, Aaron, apart from Martin Freeman, you know, Everett Ross, and I believe it's uh, Winston Duke is Mbaku, it's, this is a female-driven cast here. I mean, this is all female-driven. And that's great. I mean, it's a fantastic display of powerful women in Wakanda and 
echoing from what Black Panther was sort of showing us that it wasn't just a male dominated culture that the the female presence there was not just a presence but it was important i could have if i if i really had my druthers give me ramonda's life for another movie and let's continue what we're doing with shuri because that's kind of a cool concept although not as believable as i would have liked let us breathe in that with queen and not black panther uh king black panther for another movie and then let's get to what is essentially setting up the future t'challa in the mid credit scene because it it's like we're just trying to get rid of all the stuff that's going to be distracting so we can sort of clean slate it to an extent because we got to get t'challa back in t'challa's the, the it's almost like you're saying you can't deal with you can't have black panther without t'challa well maybe you can i mean there are enough writers in that writer's room and by writer's room i mean the whole mcu metaphorical writer's room that could make this happen and there have been movies that have been able to tell stories without the main character in them for long or at all because the movie's not called t'challa it's called black panther and this concept for instance when we talked about the james bond franchise continuing post uh daniel craig you could have a different 007 because the movie expanded itself beyond him i think the same thing the same opportunity could have lent itself to going beyond t'challa and telling a story about the black panther not going to different people per se but allowing the time that shuri would need to breathe in that role and then having Ramonda be a guide for her as queen because clearly she is not going to be queen she is not going to be royalty so why do you have this vacant path that this kid is i mean <laughs> when is he going to take over is this gonna be 10 years from now that we're going to get the next full t'challa black panther because that's so, kind of what i feel like i i can tell you why the movie did it <laughs> i i don't agree with it i don't like it i I hated Shuri becoming Black Panther in the way that she did. First of all, I don't think that she's believable. I'm sorry. I thought that Letitia Reif was a weakness with regards to the becoming Black Panther portion of the storyline. I think she was great as a kid's sister who lost her brother and is grieving over that and who is uh, relating to our new character of Riri Williams, who is also a young, brilliant black scientist technological guru and she like those two great chemistry together those make they make perfect sense but those are the same reasons why when shuri puts on the suit and goes out to fight i'm like this is dumb <laughs> this is it's not at all believable that she could take down namor i'm sorry it's just not it, to me in the slightest and so i had an issue with that and i and i thought I didn't have a problem if they wanted to make her Black Panther in the beginning, but once I saw it in action, it was just kind of like, eh. But like you, I think you said, we get the end credit, and ultimately we're just getting another T'Challa anyway. Clearly. So what is the point of skipping that? Why didn't we just skip away ahead to that somehow and like go that route instead of this like middleman 
situation. I right. think but back to the the point, I thought that the reason that the movie is trying to use is to create rage in Shuri. So that's why when she goes to the ancestral plane, she sees Killmonger and she doesn't want to tell anybody because it's supposed to, I believe, show you basically your desires of your heart, right? And so when Killmonger went there, that's what he saw as well, which was fueling his rage. He wanted to be Black Panther for power and for revenge, not for protection like T'Challa wanted. And she saw it, him, which is telling us she just wants revenge. I just don't understand. So I guess she's grieving because of T'Challa, but now she wants revenge because Namor has killed her mom. It's just, again, I thought it was just one too many layers of plot that you're just, you're piling on and piling on and piling on. And it's a Marvel movie. <laughs> and I, yeah, they, we, we were only got a few fight scenes, first of all, and they were so far spread out. And I was like, come on, like, it's too heavy. It's, there's just too much there. And, well, uh, and so I thought that that was kind of the reason, but yeah, what were you gonna say? Some, one of the most, one of the things that frustrated and compelled me at the same time was this whole subplot with Namor. I, at one point I thought to myself watching this, I was like, is this, is this an origin story? Is this Namor's origin story? Because that became the compelling piece for me. I loved his telling of how he came to be and all the stuff this under underwater city like this Very could have cool. been a movie in and of itself and i don't mind i don't mind the conflict but again his introduction whatever the whatever the intent was like if wakanda forever was going to originally have namor coming in and we're going to get this maybe it would have felt a little bit better with bozeman in the seat of Black Panther, maybe the story would have been better. But the thing is, is that that was the bright spot for me. I loved everything about Namor's story and about his motivations and this idea of, you know, Kugler's doing the whole, you know, sharing resources and not wanting to, you know, wanting to isolate yourself. This, uh, what do you call it? The uh, ethnocentrism. It could be that, but it's also this idea of, what what we were as Americans back in like the sixties, where we're like, we're not going to get involved in this conflict. We're not going to get involved here. We're gonna we're gonna stay the course. We're gonna be Americans that unless we have to get involved in X, we're not going to. We're Those types of to be things. Switzerland. Exactly. Yeah. But I think even even the Namor cult the, the Namor's culture is trying to do that too, at a sub level, both literally and metaphorically, because they're but they're doing like Italian is a is a beautiful city. But it's hidden because of the you know similar reasons that Wakanda is, and so you have this interesting like we're both doing the same thing, but we're doing it for slightly different reasons. And I thought that was a compelling plot point. But when you overlay it again, metaphorically and literally, with this other thing of like how do we deal with this and Shuri's loss of her brother, it just didn't seem to fit, and she felt like a vessel to get him pissed off. That's and this and this is where I found frustration is that the whole reason that he lost faith in her is because somebody shot one of his people and she wasn't able to save the the person's life. 
And to me, that just feels so cheap. It's like, really, we just can't be diplomats about this. Can we can we roll the tape back and show you that I tried to help your friend? You like know, you're not just, expecting her people to come try and rescue her and that to happen. You're holding her, you're kidnapping right. her and you're not expecting yeah. them to. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it, it was, it was just this truncated subplot that could have been the big thing, but it's wrapped around this other thing that I am not personally invested in. And well, I that, have no problems saying that because I'm not, I know other people yeah. are, and that's what dri- drives them to the movie. They're like, Man, I'm grieving with these people. Please do. I'm not. I'm not wanting to be invited to the funeral, okay? I am I'm not close with this guy. <laughs> it's like me coming, you know, it, it's like a, a coworker saying, my grandmother died. I'm going to take a few days off. You need to. But don't invite me because I don't know the girl. <laughs> I don't. I didn't right. know anything about her. And that's what I felt like as I was invited to this grieving process in, this, in the story that I was like, I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here. I feel out of place. It would be like your coworker trying to throw a wake for his grandfather that passed away at the office in the lunchroom yeah. or something. And yes. you're like, this is not the place for that in a, in a big way. You're like, we don't need that here. <laughs> this is, we separate the art from reality as best yes. you can. But th- that was the thing. Like, I felt the Chadwick Boseman hole. So the movie was designed to be this same sort of conflict. Imagine in your head all of those scenes, and I was in real time watching Shuri and Namor, and I was imagining if this was Chad as T'Challa and Namor, I'm there, like, okay, let's go. Like, now we have a serious movie of two very distinctly different ideals and powerful actors. I mean, because I loved uh, the performance by the way, from Tina Huerta as Namor. I, th- I thought Namor in general was just a great, great character. Like, I want to see more of Namor in yes. this world. But I just imagined, like, the face-off of those two people as leaders and that slight difference in idealism and how they go about do say, how they go about protecting their people and their resources. Like, that was the movie. And you just you just can't slap somebody else in it and make it work. It just doesn't. And it, it's unfortunate. Right. Uh, but yeah, but like you said, I'm glad you like the plot line too, because I actually did. I thought it was really intriguing, if not a, a little convenient at times or a little weird at times to just kind of like condense it to, well, if we kill the scientist who made this one particular vibranium detector, like all will be well. No, no worries. We'll be safe forever. I was like, that's kind of dumb. Like once somebody has figured out how to do that. Somebody else can figure out how to do that. You know, like you're, it just kind of felt like a little bit forced as a way of getting Riri Williams introduced into the Marvel universe. And the, again, part of what packed this movie. So even though she fits very well with Wakanda and like I, like I said earlier with Shuri, I thought they had a great interaction together. For me, it felt like something that was very evident of Marvel's new way of doing business with their shows merging with their movies. And it's all one big thing because you probably don't even know this because you're not watching the shows. But one of the next big shows is Ironheart, right? It is. And that's the thing. Like, this is introducing that character. So now she can go have a Marvel show. And we're working our way up to some new teams that will be involved in some of the big new phases 
or the next phase, phase five, because they've got to replace the Avengers. And so all these like characters that are in the shows and we'll probably have like Shuri and Riri and some other characters that'll be part of a new team. And it just, it's starting to become more and more big and overwhelming and hard to keep track of. And so when you do that, your movies start to get stuffed because you're trying to, you got to keep all these things rolling. All these different like little pieces have to be moving forward at all times. And so it did feel a little bit forced to me, just like having Everett Ross and Julia Lewis Dreyfus. I always get her name wrong. Is Louis, it Lewis Dreyfus? Louis Dreyfus. Louis Dreyfus. Okay, I got it right this time. <laughs> having those two in the movie. So I love Martin Freeman, but my goodness, those two didn't need to be that whole plot line. Again, like they existed simply to be there to make jokes about colonizers and to introduce Riri Williams to Shuri and Okoye. That, and that, that's really their only purpose. But we kept cutting back to them multiple times and it was just grinding to the flow of the movie. And it was like, why? Like we've got two amazing cultures facing off. Like, let's just live in that. Let's stay in the conflict, please. And I felt like it just kept doing so many other things when I was like into the conflict itself. Yeah, this was this was a little bit and I won't call it intertextuality because I mean it's not like we're calling back to you know phase one. But one of the thoughts I had when these two characters showed up, particularly Everett. He doesn't have a major presence in Black Panther, but it's enough as the quote Tolkien white guy is that joke was going around back in 2018, which I thought was great. But what I found as I was watching this is this could be something pretty bold where you have an entire movie that doesn't have any attachments to anything familiar from phase one, with the exception of Vibranium. But that's not necessarily connected to Captain America because Vibranium originates from Wakanda. That's the big thing about Wakanda is its lifetime supply of Vibranium that it doesn't want to share with anybody. And so up to the point before I saw Everett Ross, I was like, this movie could actually not have to acknowledge anything prior to it. And that would be bold. And then you kick back to him and. Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Wow, that's a mouthful. Her whole presence was just dumb in terms of being relevant to the plot. The relevance that she had was being at was she wasn't even at the United Nations thing, was she? I don't remember if she was or not. No, but the she's fact a new is, character. She's a new CIA director. And you, yeah. again, you wouldn't know this. She got introduced in, I believe, Winter Soldier and Captain America and Winter Soldier, whichever one that gave us Sam as Captain America, she gets introduced in that series. And then she just pops up in this movie as we didn't know she was his ex-wife. That's another like new to, but that's the thing. That's the whole universal thing, right? They're constantly trying to tie every little thing together. It's like, it's like that board in uh, Pacific Rim that Charlie Day has with all the like lines. And he's like, everything's (laughs) connected, man. Yeah. It's, and and I've I've voiced my frustrations about the interconnectedness of this universe. It's bold, it's risky, it pay when it pays off, it pays off. But what I will tell you, and I've said this with comic books, and I've said this with the the dig, what I would call the digital properties that are coming out of the MCU, if the story itself cannot work on its own, 
there's no way that I'm even remotely interested in how it connects to something else. WandaVision is a fantastic series on its own. I don't care how it connects to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but I think it's cool that it does. But I enjoyed both independent of one another. The problem is, is when you introduce characters, I'm like, who the heck is that? Oh, yeah, she was a minor character in this movie or TV. She came in the fourth episode of this TV show that I never watched. So why do I care? And I think it becomes more about fan service at that point. And when you have to do that, when you feel like, okay, we need to bring these characters in because they're familiar and because the you know 40% of the population that has watched this series, we need to make sure that they kind of bring uh, their interest into that. Let's do that. To me, as someone who doesn't, as you said, that doesn't watch the shows or all of them, I look at these characters and I ask the same question you do. What's the point? Why do we need to bring them along when you could essentially have this two-faction war? That is compelling. Wakanda versus Talacan. You could, I mean, this could spit out and find its resolution in a third Black Panther movie. How you get there, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not the guy that's going to come up with the solutions, but we're not done. Let it like, breathe. It let the yeah. It, let it breathe. Let it actually do because that to me, that's a that's an MCU plot. That's an absolute MCU plot. The grief is not. I can't yeah. apologize for that because it's not. It's not consistent with the MCU with everything that's come along. I've never felt the impact of the loss of a character beyond just a couple of scenes with Iron Man. And I don't know that I will ever see the Marvel Cinematic Universe as being able to do that effectively for two and a half hours. Yeah, I think that's what we just keep coming back to is all boils down to, because I think that the war is still on the table from what we end up with, with Namor and Namora, or he's talking to Namora, who's like his wife, who's like challenging him, like, dude, what's up? I, I think she's his wife in this. She's supposed to be. She is in the comics. Anyway, uh, and she's like, why, why are you being weak? Why are you giving up? And he's like, biding our time, essentially, is what he's getting at. And But that's not the kind of, you don't do a two and a half hour movie like this to set that up. That's a piece of a movie or you know what I mean? Like a smaller thing that sets this a big thing up. And it's just, it just didn't work fully for me. I want to talk about some of the tech and stuff. Well, first I want to talk about Ironheart. What'd you think about Ironheart as a character? So I, I talked about like the, fa- so I said, you know, that it feels a little forced. That being said, I actually really love Riri Williams and the performance or not. That's not the actress. I think it's Dominique Thorne is the actress uh, for Riri Williams. And I really love that character. I, I thought that she performs it well and it's interesting and she fits in this world, but it's also a redux of a way to give us a new Iron Man. I mean, that is the reality is that we are replacing Iron Man in an Avengers team with a young girl who is basically doing the same thing by making herself an Iron Man suit. So I thought she was a little forced in here. And while her dialogue interactions with Shuri were good. I didn't really care about anything when she was in a suit, frankly. I agree. I think that what she does is she adds a little bit of levity 
to the scenes that she's in with Shuri because Shuri's a brooder in most of this movie. <laughs> like she's never smiling. And when she, when she does, it's usually um, in those conversations with, with Riri. So I have seen this young tech genius character show up in other movies. And I think it's, it's nice. And I think that it will be successful because <laughs> as I've seen in a recent Target commercial, they use her character as a means to just reinforce the message that young black girls can be anything they want. And that I think it's a fantastic message. That message is not lost, but I think from a movie standpoint, it's filling a hole. Not an Iron Man shaped hole, but you definitely need someone who's tech savvy. But I think that Shuri fits that role personally because she is smart. And that's what I was very much cinematically attracted to in Black Panther was just how tech savvy she was. And when she says, I need your help, it feels a little bit like, okay, so what is this girl bringing to the table besides snarky? It's fun. But I, I think for me, it just feels a little bit derivative, a little bit more like echoey when it comes to these two. I mean, I guess if you're saying Shuri is essentially Black Panther now, so she's not going to use her techness, you know, tech savviness. Now you need to bring in this girl to sort of fill in that role. I guess that's okay. But to me, Shuri was my was my tech girl, and I don't really care about having anybody else. We don't need two tech girls. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and I don't think there was ever a moment in this film where it was Shuri relinquishing her tech duties to become nothing but Black Panther other than one final fight, right? What did you think about the fights? What did you think about the action and the tech and like the Talokan's way of using grenades or water attacks and just in general, the CGI and the fight scenes? Because it's always big part of these marvel movies like we go to these blockbusters for the awesome action that's a big part of it i really dig any battle sequence that has water attached to it i think it's a cool defensive and offensive method of battling i think it's why one of the things i did like about aquaman when we when we covered it as i think those sequences are great because you it it physically slows down the action like when you see these things play out. It's not just Zack Snyder slow-mo. It's the fact that I've got a bunch of water that is preventing me from punching really fast. And so when I'm able to supersonically punch through water or create explosions in the water that lead to the supersonic kind of booms out of nowhere, it's great. As one who is naive enough to say the CGI was fine in most movies, I did see probably two or three spots, particularly with, with Namor flying around on his winged feet like he was Hermes. That looked a little hokey to me and um, not enough to make me feel like, oh, this is such a dumb movie. But it did feel a little bit cheap. The Overall, though, the the sequences, particularly on the um, on the the boat or the, the vehicle, I can't remember what it was called, but that big giant like Looked like a sand crawler in the sea is what it looked like. It, yeah, it, it was like a Wakandan aircraft carrier, basically, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Troop carrier or something. I thought that was cool combined with like the echolocation type stuff that was going on. It was just really, really creative use of 
the types of tech that you would have in certain parts of the world. So if you're living underwater, you're going to take advantage of the water. And I will say this, Aaron, because prior to Black Panthers, prior to the movie, a trailer for uh, the new Avatar, Avatar. movie. Yep. Us too. Yeah. And all I could think about when these blue people show up is like, oh my gosh, is this what mm-hmm. we're going to get in Avatar? Are we going to get some battle sequences like this? No. And I thought those guys- so much better. <laughs> and you're going to be able to see things. It was a bad True. move to put that trailer before this movie because the water is like gorgeous, crystal clear. The actors are actually holding their breath for seven plus minutes being underwater to film their scenes. And this was like the murkiest- shadowy shadowiest like water scenes that i had ever seen like, it, it was so intentionally like hard to make people out at time i feel like it was just they they couldn't handle like on a tech perspective making it clear i guess i don't know so like it was it was cool to like you know, see like a shadow of a of a whale with a bunch of talokins in the background. But imagine if that was like the crystal clear water of like Avatar, right? Where you right. could see it. Right. I was I couldn't get it out of my head the whole time I was watching. So even though it was like so cool here. from a design perspective, I was like, mm-hmm. I want to be able to see it more. I loved the water grenades. That was my thing. Like every time they used the water grenades, I just thought those were the most badass invention. Super cool. No idea how they work, but Really, really cool thing. And the sonic attack did not explain it at all. That bothered me, but I loved watching it. This idea of like <laughs> sirens in their culture being able to whatever. Dude, they were like, you know, singing and people would you know, magically just start walking off into the water. Whatever they were doing, like, why do they have this ability? Where, how did they, that wasn't touched on at all, but it was really neat, uh, a unique way for them to. Uh, get people under their control and kind of thin yeah. out the battlefield essentially. And, and that's where I think the, the truncatedness of that particular plot or subplot lost its way a little bit because of the fact that we get the result of the technology. We get to see the fight sequences and the use of those things, but we're asking those questions. How did you learn how to do this? And it's why I, thought in my head it'd be cool to have gotten a, a namor origin story because getting to this point we feel like oh yeah i remember when they created those because of that battle with this other race that they were trying to take over their you know their city and they had to develop this technology again not crazy important but when you're sort of thrown cool tech unless you're living in the world of mission impossible where you're not asking questions like that it, so I think it does bother, bother me a little it, bit. I think of it like Civil War. We built so far up to Civil War to where we knew characters and then there was a faction split over something very similar, right? An ideal and a different way of believing that you're gonna how you're gonna go about doing this same thing. And it's very similar here because Namor is in some regards. Some people would look at him as an anti-hero, probably. At least for his own culture, he's their hero, right? What I mean, I would have loved, like you're talking about, to get to know Namor and actually care about Namor and his culture and and feel 
connected to him and then have him have this thing happen to him where he's like, no, I need to go about it this way. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but Chala's like, no, you can't go about it that way. And then we have this conflict and it was just, it would be so much more compelling and I would have so much more buy-in because I would be attached more to both of those characters. Like you right. said, and yeah. it all comes down to like trying to smash that together. You could have mm-hmm. even done that in this movie. If you'd have spent all two and a half hours of this movie on that and weeded out the processing of grief moments that happen continually throughout it. Right. I didn't like the power ranger suits. So I love, love, love in the black Panther universe, watching the Dora Milaje fight. I think it is one of the coolest things ever. I think they are so neat. And like I mentioned earlier, that scene in the vault where they just go, they, they surprise and ambush that elite military squad. That's trying to take them, take their vibranium. I love the power of them. I liked Okoye getting stripped of her generalship because she lost Shuri and the emotional weight of that on Okoye as she moves forward and her wanting to prove herself uh, in battle to regain that because she, I love Okoye. I think she's an awesome character. So I like all that. Putting them in flipping Power Ranger suits was unreal to me. I don't even, I could not fathom that someone came up with that idea that they were like, let's take these really cool hand-to-hand martial art warriors and let's put them in these blue power ranger suits so they can fly around and hit people with like sonic blasts and you know lasers and stuff it was just it was so goofy to me and silly and just felt like out of place i guess and and i think ending up with them on the carrier having to fight namors these are challenges because you have a seagoing culture <laughs> against a land-going culture, right? But you you condense that space so much. So you had M'Baku's tribe, the Jabari, and I, I love M'Baku. So Winston Duke is one of my favorite performers. I mean, we covered nine days, and I just, I adore this man. I think he is so freaking talented, and he's barely in this. You have him. And you have Lapita Nyong'o, who also is like one of the greatest living actresses right now, in my opinion, as Nakia, super charismatic, already proven to be an incredible warrior. Like, both of those people, to me, would have been the type of person that you put in the Black Panther uniform if you need to, like, have a stop yet, right? And great leaders, charisma, known fighters, and we didn't get a lot of either one of them. And then, and then you have all this battle condensed onto that carrier top, like you're saying, like it just, it was good, but I just, it was lacking like the greatness of the best comic book fights. And I felt like it was set up in a way that, that the ability for them to do like the difference in the fighting styles was there to where I believe it could have been something more interesting and dynamic than it was. Sure. Yeah, it it's your it's your typical third act is what it is. Your typical superhero third act. This is something that DC films have gotten criticized for because their typical third act is like, oh yeah, CGI heavy battle between God and man in some capacity. Wonder Woman, I think, had that 
kind of criticism. I don't know if we criticized that or made that criticism, but this felt very, very mundane, very bland. Like, oh, here comes the big battle sequence. What's going to happen? Because we know none of the main characters are going to die. I mean, we've had two already. It's like they're not going to do another one. You know, <laughs> you're not going to get you're not going to get uh, Mbaku dying too. I mean, we're just going to throw away all the main characters from Wakanda. Wakanda is not going to be forever. It's going to be now. It's going to be done. Right? It's going to be very finite. And you're right. I think when you put those two characters in suits, several things go through my head. One, how do they know how to fly them? Two, it's hard for me to see their faces because of the way in which the suit is designed. You can make the same argument for Tony Stark as Black Panther, but again, spent a lot of time with him in the suit and out of the suit and with half the suit. So his face is familiar with that surrounding hardware. These two characters have prominent body shapes. They have prominent facial features and head features. They're both bald. <laughs> they, their figures, who they are, are they are they are hidden by the suit. And now all you see is the suit. I don't see them. I see Tony Stark inside the Iron Man suit. Ergo, I see Iron Man as Tony Stark and vice versa. I don't see these two characters. And I don't think that'll happen again. I don't think they're going to, I hope, I hope they don't stick with those suits as being like alternate like methods of fighting because you're right. The hand-to-hand combat is what makes them look powerful. When you put them in a suit and give them things to like blast people with, that cheapens who they are as characters. They are warriors. Warriors don't get in big giant suits and blow people up. That's not what happens. So for me, I wasn't, I didn't like the look of it, but I also didn't like the function of it. And with regard to that last sequence, it just didn't, again, stakes. It's all going to come down to stakes. Like, okay, if if I'm treating this as like a, a Namor origin story, then the people that I care about at this point, they're not going to die. We're just going to continue this at some point, but we're going to have a big battle sequence so we can see all the cool CG and, hey, let's add this. Let's throw that in there. And it just never felt very weighty to me. It felt like it was just, it's just a, a fun little action movie or a fun little action sequence. Yeah, that was the other weird thing is like there were there was a specific instance of Okoye killing, in quotes, a couple of the Tolkien telecans and they just they were fine. Like they got speared in the gut and they just they got up and they were fine. So it was it was like, well, why, how do they heal? Like, what's going on here? Again, lack of world building and detail for them leads to questions of, OK, so wh- what's really happening in this battle? Are they dying or how do they die? I don't know how they die. So that was kind of left out there. I, yeah. I did love the score. Did you like the score? I thought the score was really good. Yes, I did. I actually made a note to to talk about that a little bit. I love the the variance of it. Like it had such, I think each section highlighting the two different cultures was really distinct. I mean, they both felt like you had individual themes attached to Wakandan culture and Talican culture. And I, I kind of want to just cue up the score and listen to it because it's very, very good and very, very, very varied, as I say. Or distinct very from, varied. Very varied. But yeah, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. 
Yeah, I did too. And I, I thought it was an interesting choice. And at first I was like, huh? When there were a couple of moments of songs playing in the background, like rap songs or hip hop songs and like characters were talking, it would be happening when Shuri was in her like lab area. And I was like, I can't quite hear all the dialogue, but then it kept happening. And I realized what was going on is like, that was music playing in the space, not like your typical soundtrack song that is just playing. And it's it, like that song was actually in the universe playing and it made more sense. It was like, oh, that's these characters are having a conversation and there's a jukebox playing in the background, essentially, is what is happening. They've got right. the radio on. And I was like, OK, now it's kind of cool because it feels like fleshed out world building for what they would be doing if they were just tinkering in the lab kind of kind of thing. And so I, I really liked how they implemented that as well as the the regular score. Mid credit scene. And where do we go from here? So. What do you think of the reveal that there actually is a son and he's been hidden away? And of course, out of honor, he has the real name of T'Challa, but he's got this other Haitian name to keep him safe. Your face right now. Wish we were on video. <laughs> but where do you see them taking this and where would you like to see them take this? Because you know they're not done with the property. Sure. So, 10 years from now, when we get the third Black Panther movie where this kid takes over the throne, love to see where that where that goes. The fact is, <laughs> I, it feels a little cheap to me because you're trying, again, you're trying to just maintain T'Challa. And I feel like Black Panther as an icon, as a character, doesn't have to be T'Challa. You mentioned Winston Duke potentially being a, a guy that could take over. He wouldn't fit the suit. He's too big. I'm just kidding. But but Nakia, Lupita Longo, uh, Nyong'o's character, I think is an absolute pick because she's strong, because she's courageous, because she's very inventive. Like the ability for her to <laughs> infiltrate <laughs> and have a little bit of that, not driven by revenge, but more kind of cutthroat and a little bit more ambiguous moral compass. That to me seems like a more interesting pick as Black Panther. Plus she looks more athletic than Letitia Wright. Letitia Wright is your guy in the chair to me. She's the one that she doesn't need to push out her strength. Not that she's not strong. I believe she is, but of course anybody's going to be when they drink that, drink that stuff. But the fact is, yeah, exactly. <laughs> For a while, I couldn't understand what they were saying, but I picked it up eventually. So as far as this kind of carrying on the legacy, I respect it, but I don't like it. I think it's kind of a, you don't you don't have to do it. You've earned the respect of your fans, MCU, Kevin Feige, that you can deviate. They will forgive you for recasting T'Challa if you want to keep the same character or carrying on with a different black panther that's not t'challa listen we have a black we have a we have a captain america that is not steve rogers we can do this we can we can bring in another iron man that's not tony stark it's okay you own the company you own the property do what you want you're not going to kill anybody's childhood i promise you've earned the respect so for me to make her to make nikia the mother of this eventual legacy i understand to an extent that 
the value that Chadwick Boseman had as a black man being a superhero, you've got enough female representation and strong characters in this already to add another female character to become the Black Panther. What does that do? Does that cheapen this a young black kid's desire to you know look up to a superhero? I can you know I could be Black Panther. I want to be him for Halloween. Sure, I get that. But now we've got to fast forward in a matter of a few years, but we've got to fast forward like 10 years in the MCU to get him to a place where he's going to challenge for the throne or do whatever. Because this kid's, what, seven years old? So a young actor is probably going to be in his 20s that's going to sell the role of T'Challa. So you're talking about pushing the MCU timeline forward very quickly if you want to cash in on this idea of T'Challa Jr. doing doing Black Panther. What I do find interesting is at the end of the movie, you have um, M'Baku who is challenging for the throne. What's that going to look like? Is I got the know, vibe that he is just taking the throne because she's not there. There is no... Yeah, like who's, who's he going to challenge? It would be Shuri. Shuri, Shuri yeah. is the next in line. So, And she's not there. She's in Haiti. And I got the vibe that she was intentionally not there and allowing him to to take over and the throne because she knows that he would be the better leader. That was my reading of it. That's also what I really, really want to happen in this case. <laughs> I would love to see him be the ruler of Wakanda because I need him to be more involved somehow. And it makes way more sense because he is a ruler already of a tribe and Shuri is right. definitely not cut out to do that. There was questions about like, did T'Challa and Nakia secretly get married? E-Man and I were having a conversation about this. He was a little annoyed because it's not fleshed out and, and it's not really told to us what happened here. But he's like, listen, this movie and this franchise or property, Black Panther, he said, part of the thing here is they've been so respectful to Wakandan culture and the way that they depict it. And he said, this would not be Wakandan culture. So T'Challa wants Nakia to be his queen early in the first film, but she doesn't become his queen in the first film. They, he's saying like, it's not in his character of T'Challa to go off and secretly get married in Haiti and leave his wife and a secret love child there. Right. Or baby there. So if they didn't do that, then it's just, he's just, he's a baby daddy. That's not T'Challa, you know? And so it brings in a question like his character unnecessarily, like you don't need to, to make him retroactively make us question that, you know, <laughs> you know, like, I, I mean, yeah. I, I get like the whole idea of like him trying to protect the kid. He doesn't want him to be part of the, the culture, but that's Emmanuel is like the most versed in this that I've ever known and, and very invested as well from a personal standpoint also. And he's like, that's not T'Challa. Like that is not at all how T'Challa would have handled his affairs and his family. And so it was kind of like rubbed him the wrong way. And I, I kind of understood that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just hope it's not Shuri. I hope that that scene indicates that she's smart enough to realize this is not for her. And I would like to see this Wakandan IP. Like I would like to see more of Wakanda and I would like to see the, the country, the kingdom move on, uh, with new leadership. So I'm definitely rooting for M'Baku and Nakia to be the two that take this forward yeah. and push it into yeah, I the think, future. I think they're the strongest to do that in terms of 
actors and characters. The next best person would be Angela Bassett, but she's dead now. So I'm sorry. And let me just say this in terms of like the tribute paid to Chadwick Boseman. I recently watched the, the first and at this point only season of Marvel's what if, and he voiced, I think three or four different episodes. And I believe it's the last one that we see in the order in which they were released that they, they pay a, a small tribute to him. The fact is his voice is going to live on in that series. You know, I think he, because he, he, he did all that work prior to his death. And so it's, it was cool to be able to, and will be cool to always see the, the, the character of black Panther living in other adventures beyond these handful of movies that we get to see him in. Not that his character is even more fleshed out necessarily, but that to me kind of creates a wider base for me to like the Black Panther of Chadwick Boseman to get to say, okay, I've got my big screen, but I've also got my small screen and seeing him do, do voice work. I, I mentioned in one of the episodes that we recorded for AOS that I love his accent. I love his Wakandan accent and how he delivers that. That's one thing I'm going to miss among many things about his his legacy is the fact that he brings such a great like Wakandan like the, this a pure African esque accent to this very native and and others do too. But I always loved hearing him talk because he sounded very royal. He sounded very. Uh, very formal when he talked Absolutely. and i think that's what made it such a great contrast with him and michael b jordan because michael b jordan was all about like just americanized like i i will say this very respect american black is what it is as opposed to well yeah African he black. was raised yeah. in the in a very um you know run down urban neighborhood in mm-hmm. oakland that's who he's supposed to be and so those to right. represent yeah is a great conflict there as well and I think and Shuri and uh, and Riri and, and Riri are the same way. You have Riri mm-hmm. who has this great kind of Americanized dialect compared to Shuri, who has a very Wakandan dialect. And so to hear them yeah. back and forth is really great too. And I think you got that same kind of capture from uh, from the first Black Panther movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that's all I got. And that's all I got, and that's all we're going to give you. So we hope you've enjoyed the conversation. And until we speak again, Aaron, thanks for this great conversation. We'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.